Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning. You know, I'm looking out the window in my uh, palatial studio in Fort Collins, and it looks sunny and nice. Doesn't look as nice as the beach did in Florida last week when I broadcast from there, but it looks pretty nice. And we are into winter activities. Had some snow at my house. A lot of it melted, but we've got cold, colder weather. The ice is forming even on the front range, although I'm sure that wind yesterday, that warm wind did some damage, but the mountains are going pretty strong. We're going to talk about some ice fishing. We're going to talk about other winter activities too, some hiking and snowshoeing, and then some Christmas gift ideas. And, you know, we're going to review today the kokanee uh, spawn, how the Parks and Wildlife did in the kokanee this year. There's some ups and downs to talk about in that. So we have a short show. We're only on for an hour because of the Big Ten championship game. Back to two hours next week. I think Karen published our December schedule to get everybody caught up with what our hours are. Also, in November and December, we typically do what's called our our, uh, Masters of Ice Fishing series. And we're going to continue that. But before, I want to also remind people that ISE is coming up about, I think, the 12th of January. We're going to start giving away tickets to the International Sportsman's Exposition fairly soon. So you'll be able to get passes to get into that. Now, speaking of the Masters of Ice Fishing, we we feature a lot of national stars on that. We get um, Dave Gentz and Bro Brosdahl and Steve Panaz and people like that. But we've got some pretty uh, incredible guys here right out of Colorado that have worked their way up that chain to be among the masters and some of the elite ice fishermen in the country. And one of them is our own Nate Zielinski. Good morning, Nate. Morning, Terry. Uh, you know, I am calling in live from the St. Paul Ice Show and all the names that you just mentioned, I have seen here today at the show. Uh, you know, just uh, just did a great talk with Dave Gins, and it's great. We're celebrating his 75th birthday here at the show today, uh, so it's pretty neat there. But yeah, Terry, I uh, I appreciate it, and uh, yeah, I definitely uh, feel and, and call the ice my home. That's that's for sure. Yeah, you and I have a lot of history in ice fishing, and you know, I remember coming out here, Nate, when it was. Uh, in the 80s when there was just a handful of hardcore ice anglers and I started doing seminars and things started taking off and then more and more people got involved, people like you coming up and really latching on, an avid ice fisherman already, but then doing your events and your schools. We have a lot of avid ice anglers in Colorado now. We really do, Terry. And it's so neat to watch this sport just blossom. You know, we're seeing 20 to 30% new ice anglers a season. And, you know, it's an affordable sport to get into. It's a lot of fun. It's very much a group effort. Uh, and it's just really neat to be a part of. And, you know, Terry, you, you talk about that. It's so funny because I spent a lot of time in Minnesota in the early 2000s, uh, but still was a, a resident of Colorado. But spent a lot of time out here, you know, months on end out here in Minnesota. And, you know, I, I remember when I first came back to, to Minnesota, after purchasing my first Vexlar and, you know, we're out here in, in Colorado running our Vexas and our kind of, you know, latest equipment, even underwater cameras. And I remember people looking at me like I was foreign. They're looking at this flasher graph, which at the time was, was 
common in Minnesota. And you come out west, everybody's like, what is that thing? And, you know, Colorado in the past has always been just a hair behind the trends in ice fishing. Um, and it's so neat to see catchy Colorado catching up with that and just booming into such an awesome winter sport. And, you know, it's crazy because even though they consider the true heart of ice fishing, you know, in this Minnesota, Wisconsin kind of ice belt of the Dakotas, um, we have a longer ice season in Colorado than anywhere in the country due to our elevation. So even though other states might be more popular for ice fishing, we're catching up quickly, and it's really neat to see the, the versatility of how long our ice season is in Colorado. It really is, and we have not only a, a length of season, but such a diversity of species you can ice fish for out here. Um, we've got all yeah. the trout and lake trout species, the kokanee, and then we have a lot of the warm and cool water species too. So it really, uh, it really is uh, taking off. Are you seeing anything at the show, Nate, that really caught your eye as something new, interesting, or just something that reinforced? I think that's the biggest thing that we kind of wanted to talk about is what we're seeing at the show. These are some trends that you're going to kind of see uh, across the board. You know, I would say, you know, in the the concept of clam or in some of these type, you know, bigger manufacturers out there, I think the accessories is probably hitting home. So I think the accessories for your ice shelters, you know, whether it's a hub shelter or a trap style shelter, I think that's probably one of the biggest things that we're seeing, you know, with the innovations and the diversity of adding a floor to your shelter. Um, you're seeing all the rod holders, lights, fans. Um, I, I think the accessory game is is probably stronger than ever. So I think that's with a lot of the newer ice anglers trying to make everybody comfortable. Whether you're bringing your family out or youth out or just a new angler or maybe an older angler, um, I think that the the comfort and the kind of the concept of accessories seems to be a major play here at the show. So all the manufacturers across the board, I think you're seeing a major highlight of accessories. Um, I think. Probably one of the coolest things I've seen from Clam is adding the extra height to their shelter. So on almost all their trap style shelters this year, they have an XT model. So right on the front of the shelter to where normally the front of your trap style shelter would dip down, these have extra height built in. So literally they go from the peak of the roof and it follows that line directly out. So now when you're getting in and out of the shelter, you're no longer having to duck or, or bump the front of the shelter. But most importantly, um, you are now able to really get a full hook set in all of the trap style shelters with that extra height and you know terry as the the kind of innovation or the the current trend of longer ice rods you know years ago uh, a 30 32 inch ice rod was a was a really long rod and almost all manufacturers now are in the the 40 42 even 48 inch length of ice rods um to really you know help you get a better hook set have the ability to stand up or sit tall and still have that rod to where you're right above the water really really can control the depth that you're fishing control the stroke of your height you know know where you're at in the water column so adding that that extra height on that shelter has really been a, a really cool feature and i think that's probably one of one of my favorite things that i see the show um and lastly i would say probably the most innovative thing hands down uh is our good friends at jr's tackle if you've heard us on the radio show you hear us talk about this stuff but jr's tackle is a small manufacturer really heavy in the tackle side so jigs spoons rattle baits reaction baits all of that type thing and what i saw them do this year is probably the most revolutionary thing they're taking normal shine spoons so a silver a gold a bronze so they're taking a spoon and a normal shiny type gold spoon you know and they're adding a uv coating to it and they're adding glow to it so they're adding uv and glow to clear coats 
So you're taking a bait that is normally 100% looking gold, and it will glow neon red, have glow a texture to it without the paint. Um, so in a situation of targeting walleye, salmonoids, you know, crappie, any of these fish that really do well with glow paint or UV paint, which, you know, there's a difference there. Um, they're adding that to a clear coat. So the bait appears shiny, but has that glow tint to it, which, which I've never seen before. Uh, and I think is really, really a cool technique. Yeah. There's so many innovations in tackle right now. I can remember when we take a few leftover jigs from the summer, small panfish jigs, and then maybe a couple small spoons, and that was the extent. But the glow and UV have really come on, like you mentioned. Rattles have taken place. Uh, people are ice fishing at times with much bigger presentations than we used to use in the past, too. Well, 100%. And we actually, in my seminar yesterday, we talked about the number one kind of the concepts of reaction bait fishing, which we talk about on this radio show all the time, but more so trying to teach anglers to have confidence in it. We always say if you're doing a feeding presentation, whether it's, you know, a live minnow at lower elevations or just a wax worm or whatever, if you're having a very slow cadence where the fish are in a natural feeding environment and naturally feeding, they take that presentation as opposed to a reaction bait is when, you know, you have fish reacting to it. They're not just slowly swimming in their feeding presentation. Maybe you have a storm front moving through or whatever reason you have the fish kind of off. They're, they're reluctant to take the bait in a feeding presentation. When all of a sudden you start fishing reactionary bait, you know, lots of rattle, lots of vibration, lots of flash, lots of speed, um, you know, just overall taking over their senses, that's when those reactionary baits really shine and do well. And at the end of the day, I think uh, an angler that has the confidence to use more reactionary baits, at the end of the day, you catch more fish, and I think you catch bigger fish with those type techniques. Um, so we've been talking a lot about that here at the show. And again, that's going to bring on the blade baits, the, the glide baits, you know, the tikka minnows, the jigging wraps, um, all the rattle baits that you're seeing out there. And I think that's a, a big step in that confidence. We're seeing a lot, a lot of those those techniques and baits um, really take an innovation here at the show. Well, you know where it really comes into play, too, and you and I both know this, a lot of times in a feeding presentation, you can be watching your electronics and see the mood of the fish and how it reacts and change your presentation to get a reaction. When we're fishing trout early in the year up here in Colorado through the ice, a lot of times you're in shallow water where you don't even see those fish till they come in, and you have to draw them in and get a reaction and the trout end up being very susceptible to that also. Oh, definitely. I think you get some of the biggest bites of the day. And I think that's one thing that a lot of lingers overlook. When we talk shallow, we're talking two, three, four feet of water. And in that super shallow, you know, you can see bottom. The water seems so clear. So anglers think it's easy for the fish to see. But the problem is when you're in that shallow water, you know, the fish is swimming you know, a foot off bottom. There's some vegetation. Your jig doesn't stand out like you think it does. When you're in that super shallow water, those fish can overlook a really slow or subtle or even still presentation. And in that shallow water, there's probably no better time to fish a bigger presentation or a very loud presentation simply because the fish won't notice it if you're not really over the top aggressive. Even though it seems kind of opposite of what you think in that deeper water, 
your jig kind of stands out. Everything's a little bit more subtle. There's not as much light shining. So your jig can stand out sitting, you know, suspended a foot off bottom or subtle movements. But in that shallow, um, there's just a lot more going on with that brighter light. And I think a, a, a bigger presentation, we'll call it, it can catch you a lot more fish at the end of the day, without a doubt. Um, and then before we kind of, you know, run out of time, the other innovation I would say that we talk about, this is a good thing to talk about around Christmas, is the concept and kind of innovation of higher-end rods. You know, Terry, you and I were in the same concepts of back in the day of ice fishing, half the time we took a, a summer rod that was broken and we turned it into an ice rod. You, know, you would cut and glue and, you know, you were making these ice rods. Then obviously the, the world caught on and there's been a lot of ice rods out there. But in the last couple of years, the concepts of whether you call it a custom rod or just a higher end ice rod has really taken place. You know, we're seeing actions of the rod built for certain techniques, but more so just really, really high quality, very sensitive rods. You know, we, you have in the ice industry, it is great because you can spend $10 and buy a combo rod reel line on it and go fishing. And then I walked around the show today and there's probably six different manufacturers selling ice rods in that 120 to $175 range. You know, not saying that you have to have that, but for the anglers that really want that ultra sensitivity, that ultra technique driven rod, um, you know, to, to feel everything, that rod's now available in the ice industry that it hasn't been in the past. So it's pretty neat to see manufacturers building these unbelievably highly sensitive rods um, you know, built, you know, very technique specific um, to help anglers catch more fish at the end of the day. Dave, we got about a minute, minute and a half left. I know you're in Minnesota, but I know you also keep tabs. What's the uh, ice conditions here? Where would you send somebody that wanted to go ice fishing this week here in Colorado? Absolutely. You know, Terry, the 11 mile and Terrell, they're all holding ice. I will say those extremely high winds beat up things and more so change some things. So there's a little bit of pockets of water at Antero. Uh, there's still quite a bit of water at 11 mile. So just more than anything, use caution. But if I was going to go just catch a lot of fish, um, I would say that your Terriol is a great option. Evergreen Lake is a great option. Uh, but if you want the opportunity to catch numbers of fish and some bigger fish, honestly, Terry, I would head over to 11 mile. Normally I've been sending everybody to Antero. The fish have been just a little bit scattered at Antero, still catching a lot of fish and big fish. But those fish at 11 mile right now, especially at like Cross Creek, Sucker's Cove, so kind of that west end of the body of water, um, there's been a lot of fish and some absolute giant fish coming out there. So that's a big flat, but there's two river channels right there. There's just, you know, some slight variation of contour. If you find one of those slight contour edges out of Cross Creek, uh, you're going to have the opportunity again at numbers of fish and especially some really big fish. So if I had to go somewhere for the weekend, reaction baits, uh, paddle tail jigs, you know, small plastics, uh, you're going to do that at 11 mile Cross Creek. You're going to have a great day of ice fishing. We are out of time, my friend. Enjoy that show. We'll expect a full report next week. We'll talk to you soon, Jerry. Thank you. Uh, all right, Nate Zielinski. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to talk about a fish that does get chased through the ice, but it has other purposes, too. Uh, open water fishing and another purpose. All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 1043 The Fan, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. I tell you what, we're going to talk to those folks later. They have got everything you need to Christmas shop for the outdoor enthusiast in your life. Let's go to the phones. 
Joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is biologist John Ewart. Good morning, John. Good morning. It's a beautiful day here on Fort Collins. Where are you calling us from? I'm at my house in Granby, Colorado. What's the weather like up there? Uh, we got kind of one of these ice fog mornings, and it's about five degrees out. It was one when I got out of bed, so it's warming up. All right. We'll probably get ice on Lake Granby pretty quick. Yeah, if these conditions continue, uh, it should be, a, should be a pretty quick year for forming ice. But it's usually not safe until around the first of the year. Yeah, usually that's when it happens. Anyway, that's not what we want to talk about. We want to talk about a fish that um, most people in Colorado know about, and that's kokanee salmon. And you just finished up uh, a spawn taking because there's very little natural reproduction of kokanee in Colorado. So very much like you do with walleyes, the Parks and Wildlife goes out and collects the eggs and fertilizes them and then hatches them and um, stocks them in waters. Why do we bother to stock kokanee in Colorado? What do they provide us with, John? Well, they're a really unique fish to have in our cold water, our higher elevation cold water fluctuating reservoirs. And they're very valuable because they occupy a space that no other uh, game fish species does in Colorado. Our, our cold water reservoirs uh, fluctuate quite a bit because of storage uh, impoundments, obviously. And so there are a lot of ways that they don't behave like a natural lake. And so it's hard to establish a food web that will support a recreational fishery in these lakes. But one thing that they do produce very well is zooplankton. That's the smallest living animal in the lake. So we're talking about the little critters you see they're about a millimeter long. And kokanee are very, very efficient filter feeders on zooplankton, and they're the, they're the most efficient at converting that zooplankton production directly into recreational fish flesh. And they also occupy space in these reservoirs that no other fish does because they're open water. They're what we call pelagic fish. So they're open water, cruising, schooling fish that filter feed on the zooplankton, and they don't relate to any form of physical structure at all. So if a lake is, you know, 15 feet higher or lower one year than it is in a different year, that doesn't particularly affect them in the way that it would some other species because they're not looking for physical structure like cover or, you know, points or rocky stuff. They're just out there cruising the open water. You know, and they're not only a valuable game fish, both summer and winter, they're valuable through the ice. A lot of people like to ice fish, in which we've been talking a lot, but very valuable trolling or even jigging them below the boat in the summer because their their meat is so good, they're very tasty. But they're also a valuable part of the food chain, aren't they? Absolutely. They form the bridge. Uh, like I said, they, they convert that zooplankton production into fish flesh, and then they are the most important prey base for our trophy lake trout fisheries in places like Lake Granby, Blue Mesa, uh, Williams Fork, Green Mountain, any place that has um, good trophy lake trout fishing. Um, kokanee are the critical prey base that, that grows those fish to those excessive sizes, you know, beyond 30 inches or even up to 30 pounds. Um, you know, it's the only fish species that we have that can serve as a prey base to produce uh, lake trout of that caliber. And so um, they're very, so we rely on them for two different things, for to provide a recreational fishery for people that like to target them and to provide a prey base to support our trophy lake trout fishery. So they, they, they serve those two purposes. So that's a lot of demands that we place on them. 
Now, you just finished up not too long ago taking the eggs for stocking because there's very little natural reproduction in Colorado. How did that go? Um, I know that there's been some struggles with blue mesas, been down a little bit. Overall, how did the spawn taking go this year? Uh, it turned out to be uh, an okay year, I guess is what I would say. We 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 need, as you said, um, their numbers aren't supported through natural reproduction, and so that's the one uh, drawback that we need to perpetuate them as a as you know for all those values is that we need to manually harvest the eggs and, and fertilize them, take them to the hatchery, and then and hatch them out. And six months later, we restock them into waters where we want them. So the statewide egg need is about 10.2 million uh, eggs. Is That's our goal for what we were trying to collect during the fall spawn season. We have uh, a total of six waters where we collected eggs this year statewide, four, four of these. And so normally uh, Blue Mesa produces the highest number of eggs, but as you said, Blue Mesa is on a down cycle. And so they ended up with about 1.6 million eggs. Um, that's not good news for Blue Mesa because they, they need over 3 million to stock uh, just Blue Mesa alone, and it normally provides eggs to stock other lakes as well. But we were able to make up the difference with the two real uh, high achievers this year were uh, Wolford Mountain Reservoir north of Kremlin at 2.7 million eggs and Lake Nighthorse down by Durango at 2.3 million eggs. And then the uh, Dolores run going up um, out of uh, McPhee Reservoir ended up Kind of a surprise uh, big year at 1.5 million eggs. And then a couple of smaller egg take operations, Granby and Barker. And so the total egg take statewide ended up at 8.5. So that's a little bit short of our statewide need of 10.2. But the good news is we got our brood waters covered, which means all the lakes that provide the eggs, those lakes that I just ran through that we collect eggs from, have we have enough eggs to stock all of those waters. There are going to be some recreational waters that probably get shorted because we don't have quite enough. Um, but those are waters where we stock kokanee and manage for them, but we don't collect eggs. So we have kind of two different categories of our reservoirs there. So. So, you know, short answer is an okay year, but not a bumper crop by any means. Um, Wolford really came through with about a third of the total eggs um, that we that we needed for the entire state. You know, if, if somebody's looking to go out ice fishing for kokanee, um, I would think Wolford would be a great lake to go. It traditionally has. Uh, 11 Mile, you told me earlier, is actually doing a lot better than everybody anticipated and produced not only a lot of kokanee, but it it's, should fish well. We have one interesting lake that people ice fish for kokanee, and, and it doesn't get stocked, and that's Dillon. That's a unique situation here, isn't it? Yeah, Dillon's very unique, and it's it's, it's pretty great. You know, um, Dillon is not necessarily known for as a as a trophy fish destination necessarily, and it, it struggles with some bit of a lack of productivity. It's high and very very cold, but um, it does have a self sustaining kokanee fishery that's really prolific. And we have not stocked a single kokanee salmon in Dillon Reservoir since 1978. So those fish are self sustaining for well over 30 years now and they they produce a great recreational opportunity as you said the fish are smaller um because they don't have the fertility of that lake to grow but they end up providing great recreation especially early ice fishing it seems really popular you know we're out of time john any last comment about the kokanee before you, we let you go 
Uh, I don't think so. I think we pretty much covered it. Thanks for I your think interest. They're providing a great resource here in Colorado that people need to get out recreation, recreationally and take advantage of. I mean, they're great winter fishing, great summer fishing. There's going to be great opportunities. Uh, and uh, check the fishing reports. We'll keep you posted here on the show what's going on. But thank you for all the work in helping maintain these fisheries in Colorado, John. Thank you very much. All right. John Ewart from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. We're going to take a quick time out. Then we're going to talk to Parks and Wildlife about some Christmas gift ideas right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Uh, a little later in the show, we're going to talk to Jack's about some uh, Christmas gift ideas, but we're going to talk to Parks and Wildlife about some Christmas ideas right now. Is joining us from CPW is uh, Debbie Leininger. Good morning, Debbie. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing great, and it's good to have you on. And, you know, this time of year, I think outdoor enthusiasts struggle sometimes to think of Christmas gifts for their outdoor enthusiasts because a lot of outdoor gear gets a little personal. And if they're like me, most outdoor people are gear junkies and they've already got everything they need plus five more. So you start struggling for gifts, but Parks and Wildlife has some ideas, don't you? We do. You know, we offer gift certificates for those outdoor enthusiasts who may want to buy a license or maybe a state parks pass, make a camping reservation, um, you know, anything you want to do inside the state parks, and it's just a good option for people, then they can choose what they want to buy once you give them the gift certificate. So that's a good idea. And you can buy those online at our, at our shopping site, which is cpwshop.com, and you just click on the e-store. We also are running a promotion this year, which we normally don't do, on our 125th anniversary merchandise um we just spent a whole year celebrating our anniversary and we've got some merchandise left over so there's some good deals and some really nice sharp looking gear too and it really is and you know and if you're a, a park user who's proud of the parks and love what we do in outdoors colorado what a great christmas gift that is it just you know kind of talks to the person that i'm an outdoor person and i support parks so that's a great idea on the gift certificates, Debbie, if I'm a hunter and I'm using buying licenses or putting in for a draw, will they come into play in that way too? Yes, you can use your gift certificates both to apply initially and then keep it on your account. And then if you're awarded a license, it will automatically take out of the gift certificate amount remaining. So you can use it for that. It's a handy gift for a hunter. Are there... What kind of uh, amounts can you buy those in? Are there certain designations? Nope. You can buy them in any denomination. So once the brochures come out, you can check prices that way and buy it later. Or if you want to buy it now, pick a $100 denomination so it covers all expenses, and then the leftover amount can be used for something else. Right, and you can use it, and if it's a little bit left, you could use it towards something else. And then just pay the difference, and it, you're not going to lose what you put on there, right? Exactly. It stays on your account. Where, tell people again how they find these gift certificates. How do they buy them? It's on our secure purchasing website, which is cpwshop.com, 
and then you go to the e-store, which is kind of up in that top toolbar. You click on the e-store, and you just start shopping. You know what? It really beats fighting the crowds at the malls and the stores. I'm I'm a terrible Christmas shopper for two reasons. I never know what to get anybody. And second, I hate going to the stores during the holidays. I mean, I don't. I love people. My whole career has been built around with people. But when you get to that hustle bustle in the stores, if I can do it from home, that's just so much nicer. I do have one question. Um, you said you could buy a Parks Pass. Now, Parks Passes, uh, the ones that are available are going to stay in effect and they'll remain available. But starting next year, we also get the uh, one on the license plate where you get it for, I think, $29 if you don't opt out for your vehicle. But a lot of people may not have their vehicle registration coming up for renewal to say June or July. They don't want to not go to parks till then. So is, is there going to be a process so that we could get a parks pass for somebody, but then we could get a, maybe a prorated return when we get our vehicle one? Right. Um, that's a very good point. If you're still, if your parks pass is expiring and you need one now, go ahead and buy it. If your license plates will re expire later in the year because we'll offer a prorate just straight prorated per month refund on any parks pass you just have to go online link your account and request the refund so say my license is expiring in december next year i can't buy the 29 dollars pass now so i have to wait until december and i'm going to go ahead i'm in that situation actually my tags expire in november so i went ahead and just bought my parks pass and i've got it and then I'll have a one-month lap that I'll have to just flow over, and $29 will come up for the deal in, with the Keep Colorado Wild Pass next year. All right. And that's so more people... of a conservation path. You know, it's something that everyone in Colorado couldn't be buying into to protect our great outdoors. It was really thoughtful of the legislation coming through to say, hey, this is something Colorado needs to help protect our wildlife and support our services that we offer, kind of like John was talking about previously. Yeah, it's not just a pass for parks. The hope is that it's going to raise funding that's going to have additional funding for other needs with our wildlife management and our parks and our resources. So we're hoping it's something that will maintain and actually grow our resources. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. So there's lots of ideas for Christmas gifts at CPW, just get online. Uh, before I let you go, I want to touch on a couple more things. One is, I know there's been a lot of talk about the wolf plan, and we have had that. Um, we we had um, Travis Duncan on, and he talked pretty openly about it and told us what's going on just a couple weeks ago. And you can catch that podcast uh, on my page at 104.3 The Fan. But there is a major presentation coming up soon. Is that right? Right, next Friday, December 9th. So if you go to the CPW website, cpw.state.co.us, and click on About Us, and then you look for the commission, then click on the commission, and the meeting dates are all listed. And you just click on the December 9th meeting, and you can live stream the presentation if you'd like to hear it. There's no public comment taken at this session, but there will be several others that follow January, February, March time frame that people can actually give input and support comments there's also a website that you can link on and follow us you know you'll get e-news releases and things when different things are happening or when comment periods are open so if you're interested in that that will be the first initial major presentation 
Uh, it's December 9th, and you can find it online at CPW, right? Right, and it's a long presentation, 8.30 to 12.30, so be prepared if you want to listen in. All right. Last thing, um, International Sportsman's Exposition is coming back in January after missing a year with COVID and then being moved to March uh, this, this year. Um, it's getting back to more a normal time frame. I expect that Parks and Wildlife is going to be a major part of that show again this year. Right. We'll have a booth there and a lot of informational information, officers answering questions, Big focus this year is invasive species with it showing up in Colorado at Highline Lake. So we want to make the public more aware of the of how to prevent invasive species from moving from place to place. So the boating section has the kids making T-shirts as well as they have a new boating simulator that they'll be showcasing again. It was a big hit last year and it'll be again this year. I ran my boat ashore, so I need more practice. <laughs> All right, Deb, we're going to let you go, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Appreciate it. You bet. Debbie Langer. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, the folks from Jack's are going to join us, and we're going to talk about some more winter activities that are becoming more and more popular in the outdoors in Colorado on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 1043 The Fan. <laughs> from outdoors presented in part by jack's outdoor gear and speaking of jack's let's go right to the phones and joining us from the jack store in lafayette in their camping department is todd kesterson good morning todd good morning terry it's a beautiful day out there but that wind was a little brutal yesterday but it's beautiful and you know when i when i look out the window and i see a little bit of snow and the temperatures you know, it used to be, I don't know, a couple decades ago, people just hunkered down in the winter, except for a hardcore few. But more and more people say, hey, I live in a beautiful state. I want to get outdoors. <clears throat> and they're finding a reason to get outdoors all year long. And more and more of those people are turning to things like hiking, winter camping, snowshoeing. Are you seeing that at the Jack stores, too? Oh, yeah, Definitely. Winter sports is a great way to get out and experience Colorado, especially when there's less people around because it's a little bit colder. Less people are coming in from out of state. So it's a great time for us locals to go, you know, experience the beauty of Colorado. Well, I thought we'd talk a little bit about maybe some gifts, gift ideas for those people, and also maybe some of the mistakes people make. But let's start out, you know, what are some of the, you like hiking and you like snowshoeing. What are some of the essentials or some of the gifts that a person coming in could pick up for the hiker or the snowshoer in their family? Yeah, so we have a wide variety here at Jack's of things you could get for uh, gifts. Uh, one of my first ones is if you're welcoming somebody new, they haven't done a whole lot of outdoorsy stuff, a great um, kind of bigger gift you could get for them is a nice new pair of snowshoes or like a nice winter coat. Um if they're a little bit more experienced, you could always start talking about, you know, some nice packs, some uh, really gear to kind of make their experience a little bit easier or more fun while they're out there. Let's talk a little bit about some of those gifts. Now, a new winter coat, um, one of the mistakes I think people make in outdoor winter activities, especially hiking and snowshoeing, is they tend to overdress initially, and then they get sweaty and they get cold. You really have to dress in layers is and we're going to talk about that but you have a 
a packable winter coat that you could use as a layer. Is that right? Yeah. So we, uh, we have a couple of sayings. Uh, one of my favorite is, uh, be bold, start cold. So uh, always wear just a little bit less than you think you do when you're stepping out of the car, you'll start working and you'll develop some heat as you start moving. Um, but another great way to kind of balance that out, you know, not have to worry about it getting colder later in the day. I want to be a packable jacket. We have some fantastic packable jackets from brands like uh, Big Agnes, who's actually out of Steamboat, Colorado. So you get to support someone or a company here in Colorado or uh, some big names like uh, Marmot, Outdoor Research, or Patagonia. Uh, and we also just got in a new uh, packable um, jacket or insulated pants from Boulder Gear, which is a com- also a company that's starting up here in Colorado. You know, one of the things, uh, hiking, when I'm hiking, Karen and I used to snowshoe more than we do now, but I still have the equipment. And one of the things I like to do is, even if I'm just hiking, you, I, you get a lot of times you wear ankle gaiters, they're called, when you're snowshoeing, keeps the snow from getting down in your boots as you step through deep snow. I like to wear those hiking, too. Do you have a pretty good selection of those? Yeah, so we've got ankle gaiters from uh, everything from really short, new hiking-specific gaiters that are really for, like, hiking or trail running, all to our more traditional, you know, snow gaiters uh, that go up, you know, get above your calves so you don't have to worry about uh, getting snow in your shoes. I also like to suggest the ankle gaiters for that person who has to do the snow shoveling out every time it snows here in colorful Colorado. Um, it's a great gift that they can use hiking, but they'll also use, you know, multiple times in the year when they have to shovel snow in your own house. Yeah, they just really make a difference. Sometimes the little things you dress like, don't ever wear cotton undergarments, keeping a gaiter on to keep your feet from getting wet or snow getting up in your, your pants. It's just little things can make a difference. A couple little things you mentioned to me when we talked earlier in the week, and one of those was water filtration. I think people think, well, there's snow on the ground, uh, but water, drinkable water gets really difficult to find in the winter, doesn't it? Yeah, so winter's kind of an interesting season where you think, you know, it's cold, it's uh, humid, your brain doesn't kind of process, or you don't think about it um, as often, but it's drier out in the winter, so you use up moisture faster. Um, winter sports, you're working harder because you have to trudge with some snowshoes or push through some snow, so you're actually using more energy, um, and you'll dehydrate faster in the winter. So it's really good to have a plan, you know, get some nice water bottles. Um, one of my favorites is we've got Hydro Flask and Yeti. They're insulated water bottles. You can put some, like, lukewarm water in there, and you're not drinking ice water um, as you go through the day. It's also a great idea to have a good water filter. Um, here in Colorado, we're really lucky. There's lots and lots of water sources. But in the winter, they get a little bit more sparse, and they become a little less clean. So a water filter is a really good way to, you know, emergency pick up some water. Or you're just hiking by a stream and you're like, man, that looks like amazing water. Fill it up with your water filter. Get to drink some crisp Colorado water. Yeah, and a couple points here I want to make. I used to teach um, search and rescue and survival courses. And do not think you can eat snow when you're out there. It will lower your body temperature and can really bring on hypothermia and uh Drinking, eating snow is a lot different than drinking ice cold water because of the, won't get into the physics involved, but it really, really takes heat. And if you do dehydrate in the winter, you become more susceptible to 
to uh, hypothermia anyway, so that's a great gift. Now, what about maybe some smaller gifts, like uh, I think maybe a headlamp or socks or things like that? Yeah, so as the weather gets colder, um, some of my go-tos that I always end up you know, purchasing more of because you lose them over the summer, you use them. Uh, some headlamps. We have some fantastic ones from Petzl and Black Diamond. They start at about $25 and can work up to some super fancy headlamps. Um, but it makes a great gift for winter hikers, people who are walking the dog at night because it's getting dark earlier. Um, that headlamp really extends your uh, daytime. Some of my other favorites to just get people is like stocking stuffers, that kind of stuff, is uh, sunscreen. Again, you don't like naturally think about it. Um, but snow's white, so it actually reflects more sun up. So you burn faster in the winter than you would in the summer. Um, so some good sunscreen, especially for your face, it's mostly what's unexposed or what's exposed. Um, and it keeps you from having, you know, really bad tan lines in December. Um, yeah, you get that, that, great. That, uh, that raccoon face. Yeah, definitely don't want to be a raccoon face. Uh, for Christmas time. No. Hey, um, we got a couple minutes left. I want to switch back to snowshoes. Snowshoeing has become so popular and people do it all over. If I'm coming in to start snowshoeing, what are some of the mistakes I might make in buying snowshoes? How do I know what type to buy? Yeah. So really, um, the snowshoes you buy, uh, can be a couple different ways. You can buy what's best for you now or uh, what's going to be able to grow with you and learn with you. So here in Colorado, um, there's more and more people getting outside, especially if you're hiking, you know, in the front range at Rocky Mountain National Park, anywhere here close to Denver or closer to I-25, you're going to notice a lot of packed snow. So I say avoid the um, traditional uh, filled-in snowshoes and go with a hard plastic. Get yourself some really good grip on those. Uh, They'll last a lot longer. They'll be a little bit more versatile, and they definitely uh, will do better on this semi-hard pack snow we see. Uh, and those are great because if you do run into that powder, you can always come and uh, purchase some powder wings that can help keep you afloat. Um, All right. Also so, here so, they in can, so they can grow with you. Yep. So, uh, so hard plastic snowshoes are some of the most versatile tools you'll run into. We are running out of time. I imagine Jack's has sales going on for Christmas in most of your stores. Is that true? Yep. We've got lots and lots of sales. Uh, currently running some hangover from Black Friday and some starting up now. All right, my friend. Well, lots of great ideas, and people need to keep getting out stores and no outdoors and no better place to go than the, the Jack's stores. Todd, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. All right, great job. Thanks, Todd. That's uh, Todd, uh, Todd Kesterson from the Lafayette store. You know, these guys, if you're looking for equipment for outdoors, stop by a Jack store and talk to these guys. They know their stuff. They're going to help you pick out that gear for the other person or for yourself. We're going to wrap things up this uh, today. We have a short show because of the Big Ten football championship. We'll be back 9 to 11 next week, and we're on through the end of the year. Um, we got ISE coming up, International Sportsman's Exposition. Very shortly, we will start giving away tickets for that. I am so looking forward to seeing all you folks there after the different schedules and things that have happened with COVID. It's going to be a great time. Uh, so stay tuned for that. 
And, um, you know, I want to make up a quick mention. Our new single from Wickstrom and Dobritz is going to be uh, released on December 7th. So hopefully you'll go give a listen to that, too, and give us, us a little feedback on our music. But want to thank Jake. Jake. Yeah, it's, it's Dante. Jake used to be here. I want to thank Dante for taking care of the show and doing such a good job for us. I want to thank Karen for keeping me in line. And I want to thank all you folks for listening to us and uh, listening to the show and and hopefully we bring a little uh, information that helps you enjoy the outdoors. So join us here. Follow us on Facebook, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook, and listen to us on the fan. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour and Big Ten Championship football. I had to stop for the night. There she stood in the doorway. Heard the mission bell. Welcome to the hotel.